We're going to be in Exodus 5 here in just a moment, but if you've been with us, we're, we're walking through the book of Exodus. We're, we're, we're on a journey in the book of Exodus. And if you're with us, you know that God has called Moses, the burning bush experience, has called Moses now to go back to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he was a little hesitant to go, but finally he relented. God gave him signs that he could show, miracles that he could perform, and a message that he was to tell, and he sent him back. And today, what we find is we find Moses and his brother Aaron standing before Pharaoh, getting ready to deliver the message that God has for him. And so if you'll join your hearts with me in prayer, we'll begin to take a look at God's word together. Lord God, we thank you so much for these families that came today to dedicate themselves and their home and their children to you. We thank you, Lord, for the dedication of the church to stand with them and to encourage and support and pray for them. Lord, we thank you for the witness of those who've come forward to be baptized today. And we pray, Father, that uh, we would be able to continue to rejoice and support and encourage them in their walk with Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never taken that step of faith to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that this day you would work in hearts and minds and spirits to draw that person to you, through not through my words, but through the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. All right, lace up your running shoes. Here we go. We are going to start with Acts chapter 5. Oh, excuse me, Acts. <laughs> I'm reverting back to last year. Exodus chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 1 here at the beginning of the chapter. And it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron, afterward meaning they've already met with the, uh, the, the Hebrew leaders, and they've endorsed the plan. So afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they said this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now let's hang on here for just a minute because what we have here is Moses being faithful. He's doing exactly what God has told him to do. He stood up before Pharaoh and he's, he's, he's given this, this directive from God that this is the way it's going to happen. And he begins by saying, thus says the Lord. In other words, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, Pharaoh's answer is interesting. He goes, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now, here's the deal. You need to recognize that the children of Israel have been in slavery for almost 400 years. And nations had their gods and goddesses they, that they worshipped. And so if you're army was defeated by another army, then that was an indicator to them that their God was greater than your God. So what do you think about a God who's allowed his people to be slaves in Egypt for almost 400 years? Must not be much of a God. Must be a small time God. The gods of Egypt, or the goddesses of Egypt, so much greater than this God. Who is this 
Lord, that you come before me and ask me to do something that he's told you to do. Basically, it ain't going to happen. We pick up, we keep reading. Then he said, the God of the Hebrews, this is Moses again, the God of the Hebrews has met us. In other words, we've had a personal encounter with him. Please let us go. Oh, that was polite, wasn't it? Please let us go for a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Moses, you're holding up progress. You know, I've got them, I've got them doing a job. They're making bricks, building these cities for me. And um, you're keeping them from that. You, you come here in the name of this, this God of yours, the Lord, and, and you're, you're demanding that I, I let them go. Well, it's simply not going to happen. He picks up in verse 6. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters. Now, listen, you need to know who the taskmasters are. The taskmasters were Egyptians or foreigners who had some clout who, were, who had authority over the Jewish people. These were the guys who cracked the whip, literally cracked the whip. And so, in verse 6, it says, same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and, the, and their foremen. Who were the foremen? The foremen were actually Hebrews who worked for and under the taskmasters and for and under Pharaoh. They were the guys who... Um, Again, back to, to verse six, back to verse 7. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go off and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So what we've got here is, he says, listen, not only am I telling you no, I'm not letting them go. I'm going to add to their burden. I'm going to add to their work. They're going to have to go out and collect their own straw. Now you go, what in the world they need straw for? I thought they were making bricks. These bricks that they were making were sun-dried clay bricks. And they used the straw as a means, it did two things. It was a binder within the, the um, brick, but it was also helped out evenly in the sun. So it was an essential ingredient in making bricks. If you buy uh, your house right now and they, they put bricks around it, there's no straw in there, but they, they, do, they do it a different way. This is the way it was done then and there. And so they needed the straw, and evidently the straw was being delivered to them as they made the bricks. They took the straw, they put it in the bricks, all was right with the world, right? Well, now Pharaoh says, no, we're not going to do it that way anymore. Now, this is really short-sighted of Pharaoh, because his objective is to get these cities built, right? But what he's doing is he's being vindictive, and he is, he is showing his authority. He is putting the thumb down on them. It's actually hurting him. It's not accomplishing what he wants at all, 
And yet, he's going to show his authority, and he's going to put this stuff down. And so, he says, from now on, you're going to have to go out and gather your own straw. But, the quota remains the same. Same amount of bricks. Do not slow it down. Don't you get behind. You've got to give me the same amount of bricks tomorrow that you gave yesterday and the day before. Except this time, you've got to go out and you actually have to gather the straw to make bricks. And so verse 10, so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people, they went out and they said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, catch that. What did Moses say? Thus says the Lord. They go out and they say, thus says Pharaoh. This is significant. You may think, oh, this is a small thing, but it's not. Because to the Egyptians, Pharaoh was a god. A god who was greater in their estimation, certainly in Pharaoh's estimation, than the Lord. So this is a competition going on. Who's really large and in charge? Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land to gather stubble for straw. They're not even getting the best stuff. He's going to get worse bricks by doing this. But they had to go out and, grab and, and gather stubble. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily tasks each day, as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? You're falling behind, guys. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is your own people. But he said, You're idle. You're idle. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks from your daily tasks. So not only are they, they're evidently falling behind based on what we read here. They've already fallen behind. And the taskmasters are cracking the whip. And they are beating the foreman. Now these foremen, they didn't have it great, but they had it better than the average worker. They would have had a better home to live in. They would have had better food to eat. They would have been kind of favorites because that's the position that they were in. They were, they were compromising, cooperating with the Egyptians. And so they would have been having favors. And now all those favors are stripped away and they're getting beaten because their people can't keep up because of the foolish demands of the Pharaoh to make bricks without giving them the straw to make the bricks. And so you see this, this is not going any place well. So let's continue. We'll pick up and we'll finish out this chapter real quick. Uh, verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron, that is the foreman when they came out from meeting the Pharaoh. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. So they were not hiding from them. You know, usually if somebody's going to give you bad news, you may want to have a little distance. No, they're right outside the palace. They're waiting. They were waiting for him as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, 
the, the Lord look on you and judge. In other words, we hope the Lord gets you for this. Because you've made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And it put a sword in their hand to kill us. Here's what's happened. Because of what you've done, all this trouble that you've stirred up. Now when Pharaoh looks at us, all he can see is a steaming pile of manure. That's what he sees when he looks at us. And listen, because of this, we're already getting beaten. The next step is they're going to kill us. And this is all your fault, Moses. So verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord. So they're complaining to Moses. Now Moses can go and complain to God. Oh, Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Wait a minute. Why have you done this evil to this people? God didn't do this. Pharaoh did this, right? Why did you ever send me? I told you up front, don't send me. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Wait a minute. When God sent Moses, didn't he tell him? That Pharaoh's heart will be hardened, and he's going to refuse? What did Moses expect? This is exactly, it happened exactly like God told him it was going to happen. And yet Moses is frustrated, and he's angry, and he's taken out on God. He goes to God, and he goes, you made all this. This is all your fault. This, you did this. And now the situation is worse than it's ever been before. And I told you, I told you before we came, that this was not a good idea for me to come and do this. Obviously, I've blown it, you've blown it, everybody's blown it, and now, man, it's just gotten, it's really, really gotten out of hand. This chapter does not end well. I mean, if this was the end of the book, this would be a sad ending to this book. However, Moses and the children of Israel are having a hard time, but here's what they're going to discover. They're going to discover that the Lord is not deterred by the hardness of Pharaoh. He's not intimidated by that at all. They're going to discover that the Lord is not deterred by the fear of the people. And they're going to discover that the Lord is not de deterred by even the accusations and the disappointment of his servant, Moses. God was still at work fulfilling his plan, even when it doesn't, it didn't feel like it. And for some of you, you need to hear that today. God is still at work fulfilling his plan, even if it doesn't feel like it. Before this message ends, and I'm getting ready to land this plane, I want to take us back to a question that Pharaoh asked, because it is a very, uh, Pharaoh asked this question not out of curiosity, not to get information. He asked it out of disdain, out of arrogance. Who is the Lord? But it may be the most perceptive question in the entire book of Exodus. Now, here's the deal. They're going to find out who the Lord is. <laughs> Pharaoh and Egypt are going to find out. Moses doesn't know this yet. Pharaoh doesn't know this, but they're going to find this out. We're going to read uh, here in a few weeks in Exodus chapter 7, where God says to Moses, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They're going to know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Listen, he's asking who is the Lord now. He's going to find out. And all the Egyptians are going to find out. But this book of Exodus is not just about the Egyptians finding out who the Lord is. It's about Moses finding out who the Lord is. It's about the children of Israel finding out who the Lord is. We need to understand, there's been a lot of distance between Abraham 
and this event. There's been a lot of difference between Isaac and Jacob in this event. There's been a lot of distance, a lot of, a lot of time. There's been a lot of difference. distance between when Joseph came to Egypt and now. And due to the extent of time, their understanding of who God was was shallow. They didn't have an understanding, a depth of understanding of who the Lord was. And more than that, it was tainted. Understanding who the Lord was was tainted by all the pagan worship around them. <coughs> Excuse me. They, it, they assumed that their God had to be weak and impotent, and maybe all these other gods around them, maybe they were powerful. Maybe we should worship them instead, and I'm sure that many of them did. But they're going to find out. As in Exodus chapter 15, again a few weeks from now, we'll see that their understanding of who the Lord was would grow. When Moses asked the question in his song, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you, Lord? And the answer to that is very simple. There is no other God like the Lord, period. Why? Because there are no other gods other than the Lord. That's the truth. And that's what they will begin to discover as they see God act in Egypt and as God brings them across the wilderness into the promised land. And so the question I have for you this morning is, do you know the Lord. Now, I'm not asking you if you know about him. Some of you out here know a lot about the Lord. I'm asking you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him as creator and sustainer, as savior, redeemer, father, and friend? Is God for you, is the Lord for you simply a concept far off out there somewhere? Or is it real and personal? Because that's how he wants you to know him. Not as a distant God, but as a God who is real and a God who is near and a God who is in you. Who is the Lord? Well, quite simply, the answer to that is the Lord is who he is. That's kind of what he gave when he told Moses his name. He said, I am who I am. The Lord is who he is. We don't have the right to define him. We don't have the knowledge to define him. And we certainly, we certainly can't make him in our image. We try to do that. We want a God that we can control, manipulate. We want a God that we can understand every little thing about him. We want a God who kind of suits our tastes a little bit. But the Lord has revealed himself to us and said, here I am. I'm going to show you who I am. He's revealed it to us by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as He speaks to us through His Word, as we read God's Word, through creation. Listen, I realize that a lot of people who can see a sunset, who can see the vast expanse of stars across the sky, and think, boy, what an accident. But that's not me. When I see the brilliance of a sunset across the lake 
When I see the stars twinkling millions and millions and millions of miles away, twinkling their light coming through. When I see, thank you, you did this. You did this. You did this. Listen, we're real quick when things go bad to say, Lord, you did this. But what about when we are awestruck with wonder at his creation? Are we just as quick to say then, Lord, you did this. But ultimately, God has revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ.